0: All right, all right, Dennis Moralda, welcome to the show. My friend, I'm excited to have you on this week. What's up, Jeff? Excited to dig into what you have to offer, man. Thank you
1: for joining. You got it, brother. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. So this show, uh, you know, we titled it uh, Building Strength and Resilience, Not About Fitness, our title card for the video show, which by the way, if you pick this up on audio, we do a video show each week live streamed on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook, we pull out the audio. So if you're picking it up on audio, that's why you might hear things a little differently. You should always check out the video because you pick up a different depth of the conversation through a video. But our title card, the title of the show, Building Strength and Resilience, is not so much about physical fitness as it is maybe about mental fortitude, mental reinvention focus for our young men of today. Is that a, I think that's a fair way to say What we're going to dig into,
1: right, Dennis? Love that. That's a good title. Solid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I got introduced. We were introduced and connected. I believe it was Jason um, Skisick. I think. It was. uh, Who had introduced us. Yeah. Yeah. And so we got introduced, had a call. We've texted back and forth a couple times since. And now we're here today on the show. And I think this is a really important topic. If you've got a young uh, teenage boy in your home, You've got a, a grandson, a nephew, um, a son, you know, a, a neighbor kid down the street, uh, kids in your community. This is a real important show to, to tune into. Um, and I, and I'm, I'll kick it off with, I've seen what Dennis is going to talk about, how Dennis helps young men. I've seen this coaching on the football field. I coached youth football for six years. And I'll tell you, there was nothing more heartbreaking than seeing a kid struggling with how to get along in life, even at a young age. Uh, because there was, you know, there was a lot of hardship in the home, be that a broken home, uh, dad not around, dad not present, um, you know, a uh, multitude of other issues. And and the throughput was just seeing that young that young boy just totally sad and, and heartbroken when dad wasn't at the game and he said he would be. And that was what kept my commitment to youth coaching around. I try to be... At least for the time we had together, that steady hand of leadership and trying to instill, uh, more than just what we practiced on the field into their character. Uh, so kudos to you for what you're doing. Uh, with that, I'll let you uh, kick off with the pedigree. What brought us to today? What your, you know, your background before this, all that good stuff.
1: You got it, my man. And um, just thanks again. Appreciate the the opportunity. It was a, It was awesome to connect with you a couple months back. I've been really looking forward to the opportunity to to you know chop it up with you a little bit. So building men, I guess there's there were two origin stories to it. The first would be my experience growing up. Uh, you mentioned the the father coach figure. So uh, a lot of the the pain, the the hurt, the trauma in my life was directly associated with my my father being raised uh, more in an abusive household. And he was the coach of many of my teams. And he was the coach where if I struck out, I was looking over my shoulder with tears in my eyes, worried about what was waiting for me in the dugout after, uh, after that experience. Um, He was the guy that was yelling and screaming on the way home. Um, It was just a lot of really challenging experience, especially in my middle school years, Jeff and, and it was one of the reasons why I wanted to eventually get into education, uh, to be an educator, to be a coach. So as I'm growing up, I actually I have three siblings. My my youngest sibling is my brother, Anthony, um, who's been a co-host on several of the Building Men podcasts that I've done. And he was 14 years younger than me. And so I was raised in a, in a space where I have this there's a little you know, kid coming into my life as I'm entering high school as I'm his older brother, but I also recognize I'm going to do whatever I can to protect him from my father. And I'm going to do whatever I can to, to be a father figure to this kid um, while I was in high school. So I, you know, I was growing up quickly, you know, when I should have been out partying and doing other things, a lot of how I was raised, like for me was helping my younger brother, not experience the same things that I did. So fast forward, I, I'm very involved in sports in high school and into college. I went up playing baseball in college. Love the the teamwork aspect. Always love coaching. And one of the reasons I got into teaching was I wanted to eventually coach kids in some capacity, football, basketball, baseball. And so while I'm in school, um, as a baseball player, my majors were elementary education and I had a coordinate major in sociology. And the sociology major, Jeff, I I did this internship at a, a like a halfway home for at-risk boys in South Jersey, and these boys were uh, were in this program because they were either the victims of physical or sexual abuse, or neglect, or they had gotten in trouble with the law. And so the court said, "You need to go to a program that will help you understand, basically, you know, how to operate productively in society." So I stumbled into this internship. And I was learning some tricks of the trade with group and individual counseling with at-risk boys. And then it turned into they hire me as a van driver. So now I'm 21 years old. I'm a, you know, college kid and I'm driving this big white van into really rough areas in South Jersey, picking these kids up. And, you know, spending seven or eight hours with them almost every single day, learning how to help kids manage through challenging situations. And these were kids that had gone through the ringer in their lives. And then before you know it, the van rides home, Jeff. The kids were were opening up to me and talking to me about things that they weren't sharing with the these clinically trained social workers and, and therapists because I had developed this level of trust and community with the boys. And then they're like, can you take the long way home? Can I be the last one that gets dropped off so I have some time to talk with you about what's going on? So I always thought this is a little bit of a calling to me. It's like some things that were pulled into some things were pushed into. This was something that I was really drawn to, um, really helping kids overcome some type of challenge in their life. So fast forward, I, you know, I get into teaching my, it's serendipitous. Yeah. Yesterday. Um, it was the the anniversary. So I, I started teaching my first, my first week teaching, my third day was September eleventh of two thousand one in in central New York. So I was a sixth grade teacher and I had several kids in my classroom that, that they were really pervasively impacted by the attacks in the World Trade Center. So I had like six kids in the three classes that I taught and lost a family member. And so it was at that time, Jeff, that I recognized the importance of safety in the classroom. You know, I, I I wholeheartedly believe in in connection over curriculum and knowing the kids that we teach is way more important than knowing the content that we teach. So it was at that time, I'm like, whatever I do in education moving forward, I'm going to find a way to establish a spot where kids feel safe. And when kids feel safe and we can help them mitigate a lot of those experiences, they're more likely to learn whatever it is that's in front of them. And so when I started as a teacher, I also love leadership. I guess it it was based on my experience growing up and having to take on a leadership role in my own family, and so I went back my first year as a teacher to to get my master's degree to become a principal. Right, I was like I was barely in the classroom for a minute, and um, and I fast tracked that I got my master's in educational leadership, and after only four years in the classroom, I started as a as an assistant principal in Bordentown, New Jersey, central New Jersey, where I currently live. And um, so 2005, I started as an assistant principal. And as soon as I started, Jeff, I I realized right away, 90% of my day was with like 30 boys. And most of the challenges in the school were the boys coming to school late or not coming at all, getting into fights, getting tossed out of class for being disrespectful. And what I decided to do was I started a boys social group, much like I was running or being a part of uh, with the the at-risk boys, and I recognized right away all these kids needed a spot. They needed a space to, to be connected to a group, a, a tribe, a community. And a lot of the things they were experiencing were very similar to things that I experienced, but I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And so when I first started, and then I'll, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about you know how we ran the meetings, and then I'll pause it. I'm sure you have a lot there. But um, when I first started the Building Men group, I asked the boys in the group, and I had almost all the boys in my school join. I said, tell me about what it means to be a man like how would you describe what it, what is a man and these are kids that are 13 14 years old this is back in 2005 and they told me things that it was likely my father would probably tell me if he had an opportunity of he would say well you got to be the best athlete you got to be bigger faster stronger you got to have the six pack be able to bench more fight people you know it was like athletic conquest or athletic dominance and then they said, well, the next thing to be a great man is you got to be with the most girls or you got to be with the hottest girls in the school. Right. Then it was like this like sexual conquest. And then finally it was you need to have the stuff, the material things, the, the you know, the car, the house, the bling, the whatever it was. So then it was like a, accumulation of material things and so that's what they thought. You know, the boys were like, ah, that, that's, the, you got, you, that's the man, if you could do all those things. And I looked at them, and I'm like, you know what, if that's what you're basing your manhood and your masculinity around, they could all be taken away. So let's adjust that. Let's reframe it and reshape it into things that are inherent about who we are as human beings that could never be taken away. So what if we base it on, you know, being accountable for ourselves and for others, for being authentic, for having courage, confidence, uh, respect, respect, Resilience, self-discipline? What if we based our masculinity around service to others? Those are things that people could never take away from us. And after one year, Jeff, of running that program, the school, the suspension rate in one year dropped 75%. The kids were getting better grades after being a part of the program. They were not getting thrown out of class. They were coming to school and coming to school on time. And it was at that moment I recognized, all right, I'm going to do something with this. I'm not sure what, but I'm going to do something with this in my life. So that's where I'll, I'll pause it for a sec. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, I mean, a lot to uh, a lot to dig into there, and and I'll start with this first by saying, this isn't going to be a show just about you know at risk teenage boys. You can you know just put your thinking cap on as a leader, and you can translate this to the people you lead and you manage in your business and in your life, right? Like when you talked about taking time, extra time in the van, dropping kids off. How hard is it as a leader to take that time with the people you manage, the employees you have in your business and create that extra five-mile detour in the day? You know, maybe it's not five miles, maybe it's five minutes, right? Do you you have to extract that? You got seven hours and 55 minutes from this person of work today. You can't give them five minutes to to connect, right? Like that would be my challenge Is as we navigate our conversation as you listen to it is is not just think about it through the lens about which we're going to discuss but take it and apply it to your life obviously if you have a young teenager at home absolutely connective but you don't have to work that hard to connect the dots elsewhere in your life that's my point um you know the the suspension rate going down 30 kids being the most problematic i think there's a lot of a lot of places in our society schools included yeah, but you look at your neighborhood, you look at your workplace, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, what was the, just out of curiosity, what was the, do you recall the population of your high school where you dealt with those same 30 kids? Just, um, just the
1: average. The number, the number of students that were in the school. Total number. Yeah. So it, when it was the junior high school where I started as the assistant principal, I had about 450 kids. Okay.
0: So I'm I'm just a big fan of the eighty twenty rule rule and, and how fractal it is. So. of the kids would never, ever be a problem. You know, 20% would be, you said 460?
1: Yeah, 450, 460, right around there. 450. All right, let's say 450 for
0: easier math. So 90 kids would kind of get on your radar and then take out another um, 80% of that, that get on your radar and get off pretty quick because they don't like it. And then that 20% of 90 is 18, right? And... So it's just always interesting to me how that 80-20 rule exists. And I bring that up because so often as leaders, we go and instead of just dialing in to the real heart of the issue and creating a connective solution, as you did for those 30 kids, and you got a tremendous result, we apply this broad sweeping reform to everybody. Right. And I think that's where we just, you know, we never address the root of the problem. We say we got this policy over here. We got this rule over here. We got this process over here. But it doesn't ever address this little micro audience that is this thorn in the side that we know if we just pluck the thorn out and, you know, insert it into that space, what that person really needs, we could actually have a much happier ecosystem, whether that's at school, whether that's at work, whether that's at home. Uh, so just interesting math there
1: that I always kind of like to sometimes work through, think about. While a majority of the time was spent with those 30 boys, when I started the Building Men program, I had over 200 boys. So it was almost, you know, say if we had 225 boys in the school, it was probably 190 boys joined up. So it wasn't just the at-risk kids, quote-unquote. Um, and I've heard someone call them not at- at-risk anymore, like at-reward or at-promise, Right reframing how we're looking at kids that are struggling in some capacity. It's instead of a problem, what if we looked at it as an opportunity to help a kid that might be struggling in some capacity, right? And so when I started, I had, I ran 10 groups of about 20 boys in each group. So it wasn't just the kids that were, you know, the the kids that were getting suspended or getting tossed out of class or failing. It was all the boys. And they started to recognize that they had a lot of similar things in common as far as like what they were worried about. A lot of boys in middle school are worried about their body image. You know, a lot of the boys are worried about looking weak. They're worried about failure. They fear what's coming in their future much like we all fear, right? As men, if you're listening to this, there's probably times in your life that you felt the same way. But if I'm a 13, 14-year-old, one, it's not normalized for me to share those things because I'm afraid of getting made fun of or getting picked on or, or looking vulnerable. Um, and then two, having a spot to do that. You know, where, where... I'm not going to do that in my language arts class or my math class so where could a kid potentially share those things are they going to go to the guidance counselor and be labeled as a kid who's going to see the guidance counselor so I opened it up to all the boys in the school and almost every single one of the boys joined that program so it was it was very comprehensive you know and having said that there were a lot more Um, intensive interventions to some kids that really, really needed it so I would spend a little bit more time. But I think that's where the the magic happened was opening up to the boys and them seeing, wow, you know, I might be a white kid who lives in this house on the top of the hill with this and then I'm in this group with a kid who's struggling who, you know, might be in a different socioeconomic class than me but we are we're all afraid of of the future. We're afraid of these specific things or we have these similar things in common. So by them understanding that that the tribal aspect, being part of that group, they were like, you know what? We can support one another. We can lean on one another. And not only did they not want to disappoint me as far as discipline is concerned, they didn't want to let each other down. And then they didn't want to let themselves down either, which was a really cool thing to see.
0: So, you know, again, I mean, here's something to take away, not just if you're dealing with teenagers um, and teenager boys specifically, but how did you create that accountability amongst each of them? You know, what, what did that look like and how did you build that up?
1: I think the first thing was, um, as soon as we sat down, I mean, we set up the room and they were responsible for doing it when they would go to whatever classroom we were holding the meeting. Um, they set up the room in a circle you know it wasn't like front of the class back of the class it was a circle there are no corners no everything has an equal part in what that what we're doing we started every meeting with a handshake every young man had to shake hands with every other young man in the room to start the meeting and to end the meeting and it was a handshake like You're going on a job interview or you're meeting your girlfriend's father for the first time. So we talked about like, this is a very ceremonial thing that's going on here. And then what we started to do was say, okay, things that are said here are going to stay here. Like this is a space where we're able to come in and talk about the things that are going on. So the conversations are not fodder for classroom discussion or cafeteria discussion. And then basically I told the boys, you can tell me things. And as long as you're not a danger to self or to others... It's, it's safe in the space. Um, so they knew those things going in. And then as the weeks went on with the groups, I started to give them this like responsibility in what was going on. So I believe in a gradual release of responsibility. I do, then we do, and then you do. So then they mm-hmm. started to hold some accountability for the group. So it might be that they needed to bring something to, to share with the rest of the group that was that they're really proud of. Or it could be that they had to um, bring a book or um, a poem or a, you know, something that inspires them to talk about. And so not only were we talking about you know, presenting and you know, classroom discussions and public speaking as part of what we're doing, we were also talking about like, how do we go about leading a group? Right. It's not something that we're really talking about in education. Like, we're not talking about how do you lead a group, but that's a, could be a big part of their life. How do you manage conflict? If there's a disagreement, how can we do this in a respectful, productive way? Not assuming that when kids are working together in a group, they're going to know how to do that. So, we would talk about everything, all the real life things that kids needed. I would teach them how to tie a tie, I would teach the kids how to change a tire and jump a car, like things that. Who, yep. No one taught me how to do that; those things. I needed to learn for myself. So we're yeah. doing that in a group. And Jeff, these kids now, they're 31, 32 years old. And I'll see some of these kids at the gym um, across the street from my house. And they'll come up to me. They'll shake my hand. Miss Miralda, I still remember everything that we did in Building Men. I took a lot of those lessons that we that we... And I'm putting them into practice in my own life with my own family now, which is a really rewarding thing for me to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, you know, I spent six years very casual. I mean, you know, in comparison to your efforts and, and your focus, six years very casually involved for three months at a time, a few days a week, handful of days a week with these kids. I had Just last night, I had the opportunity to shake the hand of one of the kids I coached for three years, I think it was. And, you know, it, it's interesting, the handshake thing. I, I don't do fist bumps with the kids. I do a handshake. Same. You know, and uh, and I've noticed... Because uh, this this young man, same thing, he put his hand out uh, to me, and, and I noticed it. And uh, I'm like, cool. I hope that's translating elsewhere in his life, and I'm sure it is, because he's a good kid. Um, it, it's so cool to see those rewards, and I'm sure your efforts are even more magnified because you've just had more considered focus. Uh, let's kind of make a little bit of a left turn. You, you know, you talked about what what kids are getting in the classroom. You know, and this isn't a this isn't meant to to uh, be rough on teachers and and administration and education today, because uh, there's a lot coming at them. I mean, you, you said in 2005, the the problems that young men viewed as being a man, being a leader in life, you know, those are the same problems today. They're just amplified 10x because of social media, uh, because of the distraction of our society that we have, the low attention span the the, the constant desire to be at the top of everything and be that leader of, of everything that really doesn't matter. Right. Um, I mean, if you want to lead yourself in a physically fit way, so be it, but it doesn't really matter that you have, you know, 20 inch biceps and the person beside you has 19. It doesn't really matter. If you're physically fit and you feel good about yourself, that's what matters. And you're doing everything you can in regard. That's what matters. So. Today's educators in our system is really up against some stuff. You know, is there so how does it balance, right? Because if educators are up against some things in society, is there culpability of the system? Is the culpability of the student? Is it culpability of the parents? Is it all of it? How do you unpack all that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's a combination thereof. It was as so I was a principal for 14 years in um in in central New Jersey in a couple different areas. Um, And one thing that I certainly recognize is closer that we got to current time frame, the less accountable kids were Um, and the more entitled they became. And a lot of it was not only and I'll get into the school in a second, but parents not allowing their kids to experience challenging situations. Uh, I'm such a huge proponent of letting your kids experience failure. Mm-hmm. Letting them struggle and help them understand that there's such power in the perseverance. Um, there's there's so much research. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Lab podcast, um, and he spoke recently about a book by uh, Carol Dweck, Doctor Doctor Carol Dweck, who wrote a book called Mindset. I would highly recommend this book if you interact with any human beings. And one of the things that uh, Carol Dweck talks about is whenever we're giving feedback, um, give feedback based on the effort rather than the identity. So instead of saying, you're so smart, you're you're the best athlete, you're the best softball player, you're the best... Talk about, you work really hard, you're really resilient. When you give feedback based on effort, um, the, the output of whoever you're working with, it's like 10x. And so mm-hmm. what I talk to parents about all the time is... Help your kids understand it's more about the process than it is about the product. Think about this too, Jeff. When our kids are younger, they're trying to learn how to walk for the first time, right? The kid's crawling around. They finally get up and they're wobbling around a little bit. They take a step and they fall down. The way the parents are as kids get older, it's like, okay, you gave it a shot. Let's move on to something different. Let's try something different. What do we do when they're little kids? Give it another shot. Try again. And they're going to walk and they're going to fall and they're going to take another step and they're going to fall. That's where the learning happens. And so as kids get older, we don't allow them the opportunity. And it's it's like, it's like such a gift to give kids to fail without the repercussion of getting in trouble for whatever the failure is. In schools, what I think schools should do is you give kids a test on something and they get six out of 10 right, give it back to them and learn those four things that you got wrong and then turn it back into me you turn it back into me and you did the work and you learned and you understood, you get 100 on whatever the test is. And there's no problem with that. I truly believe that. I think like give kids an opportunity to fail and learn and fail and learn failing forward. So... That's one piece is like, what can we do as parents to really help kids? And with schools, schools are such an antiquated thing. I mean, schools haven't changed all that much besides the introduction of technology than when they were first introduced in this country in like the late 1800s, when it was like you know compulsory education. Schools haven't changed all that much. So what can we do to help kids? Think about schools right now. Line up at the door. Come in, sit in the row, keep your mouth closed, raise your hand. Stop talking, no playing. And what do kids need? Especially boys, they need movement. They need an opportunity to explore and and investigate and have adventures. So for schools, what can we do to allow things like that to happen? Kids are rewarded for being the one good kid. And what does the good kid mean? They sit down quietly, they raise their hand, they walk in a straight line, they a teacher the answer that they're looking for. So if I'm the teacher, I have in mind what my thought is and I'm just waiting for the kid to reciprocate that back to me or to regurgitate that back to me. What about for the kids who like to move, like adventure, who like to push back and to say, wow, I don't agree with that. And here's why. That's a great thing. I would rather hire someone that in my organization than a good kid who's going to stand in line and just do whatever is told.
0: Yeah, yeah there's so much that I agree with. One thing you said that kind of surprised me if I'm being a hundred percent honest with you on, on the test thing. Yeah. Um, so we'll circle back to that, but yeah, I mean, I think creating environments by which different kids can learn. I mean, this is a big thing for me with our school district because it's so personal. My oldest boy uh, was so close to uh, just disaster for himself um, because of the pressure of being put on a, college prep path and he's a career kid and i mean it it manifested to him saying i think i want to kill myself i'm so tired of all this and i was in ninth grade wow and the day we got approval because at the time now our current superintendent is is immensely supportive of being ready for life uh how do we say it locally um being ready for life life ready college-ready, career-ready. So that means if you're just going to graduate high school, we want you to be ready for that, and you're not going to do anything else. If you're going to graduate high school and go into a trade or a skill, kind of post-secondary education, like a two-year trade school, we want you to be ready for that. If you're going to go to college, we want the best footing for you to succeed in college. And I love all of that. But prior to his involvement in leading our district, man, it was tough. We had to we had to fight for that 10th grade approval to go to career center we had to fight for it and when we got it i'm like uh we just saved their kids life yeah it's a heavy lift you know and uh so i think creating these environments for kids to succeed is really important well let's make sure we touch on the the what you're seeing and what your take is on the evolution of ai technology you know how our kids are using it and what they're seeing what they're used to versus what their teachers you know, and how the education system might grade it. uh, Cause I'm, I'm already seeing conflict in that, but uh, on the test taking thing. So it's interesting to me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, prepare for the test and what the score may be. The score is, I still want learning thereafter. My view is you, you got to take the six out of 10. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you create opportunity to continue to learn, beyond that but i think the six out of ten stands that's kind of my take so you know your take obviously you, you, i think i heard you correctly is mm-hmm. retake the test and if you get four more right if you get those four right and you, you got a hundred so explain to me what you're seeing there obviously you have a basis of uh result and and, and education behind that uh, just let's expand on that a little more
1: yeah absolutely so what We could get into... Uh, I'd like to circle back if, you, if you're if you cool with it eventually, um, how this could impact your larger audience with just developmental needs that, that kids have. But it also... It associates really nicely with just people's needs in general. And people's needs are autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, and safety. And whenever I'm working with any group, I keep those things in mind. Autonomy, your voice is heard, competence, you feel good about what you're doing that you feel like you're successful, fun relationships, and safety. So when I think about... And this is, Jeff, this is something that I would say is new in my in my world. I didn't have this view when I was a principal, um, but it's something that I've uh, worked my way into. So when we think about what our goal is when we put a learning object, objective in front of the student... Um, my, my hope would be our goal is whatever the objective is for them to learn that, to be really, really passionate, excited about it, whatever it is, um, and to see it all the way through. For human beings, when there is a task in front of you and you perceive this task to be challenging, um, you're, you, you think, okay, whatever this is that I'm going to do, this is, a, this is a challenging task in front of me. If I take on this task... And I complete the test knowing that it's hard for me to do this. What it does is it develops these neural pathways in our brain that it's like laying down tracks that another train could potentially follow. And I'll, I'll wrap it back together in a second. So as I do something that I know is challenging, and I might be met with some challenge and fail at it and fail at it and fail at it, but I keep going whatever it is. And I come to the end of it and I'm, I'm able to find success in whatever the challenge is in front of me. What it does the next time that I do something challenging, I'm more likely to continue on the task and complete it to fruition. Conversely, if I start something that's hard and I give up, there's a there's a block there. I'm like, you know what, this was hard. I did a little bit, I got 60%, eh, whatever, no big deal. And I stop, my brain develops this like chasm or like a like a cliff there to where the next time that something's challenging, I either stop or it's so much harder for me to go through it the next time. So my retort against that or my pushback, if I were to go back and tell myself five, 10 years ago, what is my goal for the kid, you know, experiencing whatever it is? Are there going to be times where there's like a like a timestamp, like this is what it is? Like we have a culminating experience, is less lesson we're doing it. Okay, but on a regular basis, if a kid doesn't do something, if they're incorrect and my goal is for them to learn, if I'm like you have the choice now. Again, need for autonomy. You can take this, go back and learn these four things and submit it back to me. Do I want someone in my organization that I'm like, I'm going to give you something to do. And if you get it, you get half of it right, half of it wrong. Yep. You're like, that's it. I'm done. I want someone that's, you know what, there were five that I didn't get right. God damn it. I'm going to work hard and get these next five and I'm going to learn because those five things that got incorrect that I learned about can help me in my future life. That, to me, shows a lot of like stick de- determination, resiliency. Those are the things that I want to honor. I think in education, it's so much based on a standardized test mm. and, you know, checking these boxes. One of the reasons why I left public education, Jeff, is because yeah. I was told in a district like, listen, enough with the groups. We need to raise our test scores. And yeah. I'm like, i I don't like for me, I want the kids to be successful, but I'm more interested in them being successful in the game of life rather than, on a you know a test that's going to be published in a newspaper to me that that really didn't matter to me all that much which is why I'm not a principal anymore
0: yeah yeah i mean you know there are uh there are some folks in life that we are just so opposite in everything but we could jam out on our our mutual dissatisfaction and disdain for standardized test scores i'll put i'll put it that way yeah. um yeah. I mean, I think, I think, so we'll, we'll put a bow on, on the the testing and the makeup and, and everything. I think we're really kind of saying, saying the same thing, um, you know, In that six out of 10 example, you know, I, I'm all for kids having that opportunity to understand how they improve that score, how they improve it. You know, I think, I think for me, if I'm in a classroom, I, I do, I do want to create that opportunity to learn because I do want that competency. Cause that's what our world rewards today. Competency, not certificates, right? We want competent high school graduates. We don't want a bunch of kids that could memorize things on a PSSA test here in Pennsylvania, right? Yep. So we want competent individuals. Um, So I think, you know, I think for me, if I'm, if I'm leading a classroom, I'm going to let that six out of 10 stand on the grade book, but I'm also going to be working with those students to say, look, let's bring, you have opportunity to bring that grade up. You're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to, and here's how we're going to help you understand where that four out of 10 missed the mark. Let's help you understand better how we missed the four out of 10 mark. Let's help understand. And I think that same thing happens with employees. I know we, I, I deal with it in my retail business. I'm always looking to work with the language our team uses with our customers. Because if we get really good at it and we look to consistently level up, we have a better and better and better buying experience while those little pitfalls become less and less and less. And, you know, it's it's never... And and something came to mind as you were sharing it, sharing your thoughts on, you know, where the score stands with a test and, and everything. I, I really work hard to never, you know, we can have negative conflict in the workplace, but I really work hard to to move forward and learn from it, but never remind of the heartache, the frustration, the pain that was around that first issue. And I think as a leader, that's really important. Like you could take the learning lesson, but just don't, you don't have to drudge up the pain of it all and the frustration of it all. I'll let you add some thoughts. We can move on.
1: Yeah, and and just to close the loop on that, from my perspective too. So uh, it could be that there's a, a happy medium there, Jeff. Too. So if if it's you know the the six out of ten stands, so the four that you got incorrect, that's a separate assessment, and those four you can get a hundred on. Yeah, right. And so unfortunately, you didn't get right. So we can make it work in some capacity. But to me, it's more. It's it's more about. Like, are the kids learning that as there's a challenging task that exists in front of them, are they going to be like, yeah, I'm I'm okay if I don't learn it"? or this is the cha- the task I'm going to see this through to and it just develops this full of a perseverance and an important piece is there. They're growing into their, you know, adult lives and, you know, things are not going to be easy. They're, you're going to deal with a lot of stuff in your life. Are you the person that gives up or are you the person that's like, I'm seeing this in Yeah,
0: yeah, well... And to use your, to use your child learning how to walk analogy, the mental picture that came into my mind there is as parents, we don't immediately go and pick up that little toddler, right? We kind of let them figure it out. You know, maybe as they're learning, I know with ours, I think we put two diapers on them as they started to learn to walk throughout the day, just for a little extra padding as they yeah. hit the ground, right? Yep. And, and we, you know, I think we had those bumpers you put around your fireplace, uh, so they don't crack their head open on the fireplace mantle, right? In other words, as a parent, you created these things, uh, that you couldn't completely accident proof the house. That's just impossible with a toddler, but you can, you can take precautions. I think today the, 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 the propensity is to create this injury free zone for our, for our children. We, we gotta let them fall on the ground and hurt their butt as they sit down.
1: 100%.
0: Yeah. If they hit their head on that mantle, okay. It's going to hurt a little bit, but. You know they're going to feel it, but we but they didn't we don't need to go do stitches because we as the adults put the bumpers out there. I think the lesson is we got to point out to where the pitfalls in life are for our kids, for our learners, for the people we lead, but we can't go step across it for them.
1: Oh, Jeff, I I absolutely love that. So, quick quote, and then I'll I'll follow up with an idea, like yeah. more of an analogy for your audience. Um, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson says, especially for young men, we have to let them do dangerous things carefully. We need mm. to let them try to, you know, stand up on the top of the monkey bars, but like, let's think about all the things that could potentially happen, but let's let them do these dangerous things carefully. Cause kids, boys especially, they need that adventure in their life. When I think about a role as parent chef, I'm gonna use the analogy of a lighthouse, right? As a parent, it's my job to be a lighthouse for my kids. It's not my job to to get in the boat and steer the boat for them. What I want to do is I'm there. I'm a supportive space. I'll shine the light on the, the treacherous waters. I'll shine the light on the jetty that's over here, the coastline. But it's up to the kids to see those things and to navigate the difficult waters by themselves. What that does is when they know they have the lighthouse there, that, that solid figure that will be there as things get challenging, but they're in the water, right? They're, they're there. So they have to decide, am I going to take the light that's shining on this difficult thing? Am I going to take this or am I going off on my own? And if you go off on your own, you still might find the shore somehow, but it's going to be a lot more challenging. Right. it's difficult for us as parents because we don't want to see our kids you know get hurt we don't want to see them fail we don't but them failing and understanding I'm strong I'm stronger than this is hard or I'm stronger than this is whatever that's where the I mean that's where the magic is right there so if we can be a lighthouse for our kids you know that's that's a spot we need to be
0: yeah no I love that you know write that one down You've, you you might have noticed I forgot to say in the pre-show and for everybody watching, um, and we do appreciate you watching. Uh, and if you do watch, you should subscribe. So we like that. But as you watch, if you see me jot things down, um, it's because I always carve out these little moments and snippets from the show um, because there's always good points to be made and shared. And not everybody has the time uh, to digest an hour at a time. But if I can give you 60 seconds to a couple of minutes, that's helpful. And I try to be helpful around here. Right? So that's try to do that for my, for my folks. So at any rate, uh, no, I love that analogy. Be the lighthouse for our kids. I really do. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about how our kids are greeting new technology that's in front of them, right? Like I've often shared with folks when I have these discussions about how our kids are learning the environments that they're in. The world that they're growing up in, like understanding the Pythagorean theorem is important, but being able to type that out on a Google sheet, because I use a Google sheet because that's like kids use Chromebooks all the time now. Um, So that's the world they live in. But if you're an Excel person, please don't come at me. I understand Excel is a little better, but just back off. Um, But so like, let's teach them how to, how to formulate profit margin. Using a Google sheet, right, in math class. Let's make it interesting about, hey, you're into sneakers? Cool. Let's talk about building a business, a theoretical business in in, in math class around how you make money with sneakers. Or, okay, I know this is a problem. You want to be an influencer, a TikToker, a YouTuber? Cool. Let's talk about how you monetize that. Because contrary to what I think a lot of kids believe, and this might be. Might, might be too sweeping of a paint stroke, but I don't think I'm all that inaccurate. I think a lot think they can just get out of high school and because they got a phone in their hand and they've grown up in that technology that they're going to instantly be wealthy, right? And unless you catch a viral moment, and often those viral moments involve crashing into the shores where the lighthouse light isn't shining, um, it's really hard to to catch that wave So how, 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 well, let me ask it this way. What, what, what are you seeing with new technology, you know, artificial intelligence included using technology or benefit for kids? You're obviously have a pedigree in education. If you were teaching today in a, in a learning environment specifically,
1: how are you leading that class? How are you leading your students? And it's i mean every time you think you have it it's you know there's four more iterations of more intricate advanced technologies that the kids have at their fingertips right and so i don't look at technology as inherently good or bad it is what it is it's what do we do with it like what are our intentions when we're when we're util- utilizing technology the classroom of 2023, there is technology for kids on a regular basis. But are we using the technology as a or to think for us? Or are we using it as a tool to serve us? So I always ask, are you serving the technology or is the technology serving you? I'll give you like a really easy example it might be if I'm scrolling on TikTok and I'm basically caught up in an algorithm and they have me hooked in there and they're just going to you know show me things that will keep me on there a longer period of time. I'm serving the technology. I am the slave to the technology. Something as easy as an alarm that I'm going to set on my phone, that's done with intentionality. That technology is serving me and what I want to do for for whatever the goal that I've set for myself. So I think what it comes down to is, are you serving it or is it serving you? That's the first thing. Second thing is, and I have a son who is... Uh, in his freshman year uh, at the University of Delaware, I have a daughter who's a sophomore in high school and a daughter who's in eighth grade in uh, in middle school. And so I see even how the my kids are interacting with technology and what it's doing for them. And you know, for my girls, a conversation that I'm having with them on a frequent basis is... The number of times, if you think about this, and this is something I'm just, I'm working through the numbers. I don't, this is not an exact science, but I'm going to take a, an educated guess at it. When we're growing up, Jeff, I graduated high school in 1995, right? So I'm thinking back to myself as a, you know, a teenage kid, late 80s, early 90s. How many times would I see myself during the course of a day? Like to actually see a, a reflection of myself. Wake up in the morning, brush my teeth, get out of the shower, put some stuff in my hair, go to school go into the bathroom a couple times during the day, whatever, eight to ten times during the day that I'm actually seeing my reflection, unless you had a mirror inside of your locker, so maybe 15 times a day. How many times now are kids seeing themselves? The reflection is the, the screen on their phone, right? I would argue that they're probably seeing themselves anywhere between 20 and 50 times every single hour that they're awake. And not only that, they're, they're changing their appearance with different filters and whatever make themselves look more attractive to who they're seeing. So in one day, potentially a kid is seeing themselves, right? Likely more than we would have seen ourselves in six months when we were growing up. That really impacts kids' perception of what they're seeing. And so it, it, it also, it's not, it's not who they are. It's also like what how others are seeing them. So it becomes this whole looking glass self. Kids don't view themselves on who they are or even who they see in the mirror. They think, I am who my friends see me as and how are their friends seeing them? Whatever they're sharing out there on Snapchat or whatever it is. So there's a really interesting dynamic that's going on with the use of technology. Here's the other thing and I'll speak to this more in you know in the young men's realm because I don't believe the the percentages of girls watching pornography versus boys it's you know it's way slanted in the boy direction of course but you know when we were younger you know to to view pornography you'd have to like steal something from your dad's drawer and go out in the woods or there was a kid who had a Playboy or something like that. So you might see a boob every once in a while or maybe you you watch something scrambled on the TV. Now Like a kid who's 13 years old will see more naked women, can potentially see more naked women in 24 hours than like the most powerful king in the history of the world could 500 years ago, right? And so it's rewiring the kid's brains, not only like they need to look a certain way, but also, especially with the boys, the pornography, it's like changing their whole idea of what a romantic relationship should be like. And then for girls, they need to live up to a certain standard so there's so much there so that technology for me like is that technology serving me or am I serving it boys are serving that technology and if if you have a you know a teenage kid if they have a device if you think that they are not looking at pornography on a regu- regular basis you have to check that thought process because they absolutely are you know uh, it's like 90 to 95% of kids that have technology they are using it to look at something deviant like that
0: there's not a thing that you've shared about how our kids connect with technology, how they respond in the classroom, how they respond to their environments today that you couldn't read and be backed up if you go to Reddit to the teacher's subreddit on reddit.com. So reddit.com forward slash r forward slash teachers. There's not a thing you share that couldn't be backed up there. So it's not just Dennis sharing it. It's just me sharing my viewpoints in my prompts of questions, uh, go go get third-party input. Like you, like I, I can understand you have a good kid. I get it. Okay. And even if they aren't searching out these things, the kid next to them in class likely is. And likely they're overhearing it. And so at some point, even if the curiosity doesn't come into play, the frame of reference is there. You know, I look around our community and, and when I'm out at football games and sporting events, man, you know, I, 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 as we look to wrap up our time, I guess the, I guess, a natural progression of building men is uh, knowing you have, a, you said eighth grade daughter? Yeah. Is there, is there ever uh, in your business plans a building women iteration of what you do?
1: So, um, my partner Julie is a labor and delivery nurse, and she's going back uh, to get her master's degree to become a, a psych mental health nurse practitioner. Um, so she's involved in women's studies, and uh, yeah. we've talked about you know creating an opportunity. I do believe there needs to be groups for girls. I do believe, like I'm just not the one to deliver that information. Well, right. Obviously, right. But it's uh, uh, it's so needed. The kids need to yeah. be, feel a part of something, a part of a community. So a lot of what I'm doing too, and you know, even with my own girls, I think it's so important for you know, for young men to have a space to learn and to grow. Not only for the sake of themselves and who they are and their their you know, young men community, but also for the females in their life, right? Like I, I want my daughters to be with someone who has gone through my program. Like I want someone. You know, that to to talk to you know my the, the, whoever is going to date my daughters in the future, if that's what they decide, to talk to them about accountability, authenticity, commitment, confidence, courage, humility, integrity. They need to be hearing those things. So it will not only su- if the we're supporting the boys, we are also supporting the females that they would potentially be with in the future. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now I love it. I love that. Love that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share for any anybody with a young daughter comes across this. Um, you know, my friend Jessica Dennehy, she's been on our show. I think she was on the the Women of Apex episode and I'm, I'm 99.9% positive it was her. She was speaking at one of our events and, you know, she shared one of the things she's most proudest of today and that's all of her success is built 100% on her brain, her competency and her work. Not one ounce has been built on her flesh. You know, and I think when we look at these, these, uh, input factors that our young men are dealing with, you know, pornography, uh, you know, social media personas that may or not, may, may or may not be things we agree with, uh, the inputs they see, those inputs that women have are, are tremendously, uh, you said there's a, uh, a, a, a standard that the girls come to find and sometimes feel they have to live up to and, Man, when Jessica said that, I was so immensely proud of that statement because first and foremost, I know it to be true. Like, I know her work is great, but to say it in that way, I was like, yes, yes, lay it down more, say it louder for everyone in the back. Right. Because it, does, it just, just because you got it doesn't mean you have to show it and you can, you can be super successful with what's up here, what's in your heart and what's in your ultimate desire to succeed. And, and I was just immensely proud of her for saying that. I love that. Yep. Yep. Matt, I've enjoyed our time together. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, we've been flashing your information on the screen of how to connect with you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Building Men program as we wrap up. Um, but all your contact information is in the show notes. Let's first get out. How do people get a hold of you? And then let's talk about the Building Men program that meets a couple times a month.
1: Right. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I um so the way you get in touch with me, my email address is buildingmencoach at gmail.com. Uh, the website is buildingmen.io. And then on there you could find a, a many different ways to connect. And on Instagram, I'm the most active. It's building.men. Um one thing that I'll, you know, I'll put out there too is the things that I say I call them the three thieves—the three things that can, you know, steal away a, a young man's future. Um, in no particular order, are resistance, distraction, and victimhood. So those are the three thieves that uh, that rob young men of of successful futures: resistance, distraction, and victimhood. And my goal is to incorporate the character pillars that are up on the website and healthy habits. To help them avoid those three thieves in their life, and you know what can they do, and um, and so what do I do? I work with individuals on a you know coaching basis where I meet with them once a month, maybe twice a month, and then in my coaching I also have a parent component where uh, after I talk to the the young man a couple times, I have a meeting with the parent because a lot of times if they're struggling with something, they're they we need to you know flip over the the seashells to figure out where the pearl is basically, um, because a lot of the times there's. Uh, something that I can do to help the parents help the kids as well. I have a group coaching. It's called the Foundation. It's up on the screen. Um, basically, we meet twice a month, and I invite on uh, really awesome guest mentors that are really successful in some aspect of their life. It could be, you know, physical fitness. It could be business. It could be their authors. There, so they come on and I do a live interview with them uh, with the boys as the audience, and then they give piece of advice. And they answer questions. And I have these guest mentors on um, for about an hour, twice a month. It's a really powerful thing. And then the other thing is I'm, I'm in schools right now as well. So I'm going into schools and I'm helping schools set up building men programs. I'll do it once a month or once every two months where I'll go in and I'll facilitate a full day of building men meetings and then do some follow-up with a the, the, with the teacher. So if you're in a school in any capacity, if your kids are in a school, um, I do offer that service as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're on a uh, PTO if you're somebody who is involved at in a school board level, or, you know, you're a teacher on a curriculum committee. You know, if you have any kind of inroad and you've liked any ounce of what Dennis has shared, which I would think if you've liked an ounce, you've liked a pound of what Dennis has shared, um, please, you know, pass this episode along, uh, pass his contact information along, website along to those those folks in your school that can that can bring them in. I mean, schools have budgets, they've got Often a school of a decent size has a 50, 60, 80, 100 million dollar plus budget. Um, and you know, Dennis is obviously somebody who needs to provide for himself, but the guess is there's budget there. And so please, uh, please share this episode and push it out and, you know, send it to your teachers, send it to, send it to other parents that you know that might be active. Um, and, and get it in front because look, our, our teachers are busy, our educators are busy and they, you know, it's not possible. We just know everything that's out there as far as answers and solutions go for our kids. So put this in their hands. That, that would be my ask of our time today and to push forward Dennis's time into my audience today. So Dennis, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Well, oh, it was my pleasure, dude. It was, a, it was an honor to be here. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Well, thank you everybody for listening and watching this show. Please do subscribe uh like follow whatever channel it is youtube linkedin facebook that you listen to if you're an audio only type person and you're a podcast purist hey give us a like on your favorite platform follow us subscribe as well and if you could rate the show we'd really appreciate it dennis thank you again really appreciate your time everybody else go out there do life and business on terms this week on your terms this week that is take care Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.